This evening I'd like to speak about healing. To be born is to have the capacity to be fit, to be able to feel, to be intrinsically open to experiences of both joy and pain. One of the fundamental facets of existence, of all of life, is that we will encounter pain in our life. There is no one who is exempt, no one who is invincible. There is no living being who, through strategies, or through armor, or through methods of protection, who is able to transcend the actuality of pain. Our bodies will age and die. In the lifespan of our bodies, we will experience sickness and frailty. Within our minds, we may encounter moments when we become entangled in knots of suffering. As human beings, we will all encounter loss and separation, moments of failure. There will inevitably be moments in our lives when we experience rejection and hurt. We may experience times when we are deprived of what we want or receive what we don't want. When we look at the world around us, we see that this capacity to experience pain and hurt is a thread that runs through all of existence, from the smallest creature to the most powerful person. We also see very clearly that there is no pain that exists in isolation. We may be harmed by the anger of another, the, su the subjected to the words or the actions of another that wounds us in some way. If we look at that anger within another person, we may never be able to find the beginning of that anger within their story. We may never be able to discover where the tradition of anger actually begins. Our lives are intertwined with the lives and the stories of countless other people. We inherit throughout our lives the stories and the responses of countless generations who have gone before us. We may live with the pain of fear, and we may desperately want to know what is the origins of this fear? Where did it begin? As we begin to trace it, we may find it within our mother, 
within our grandmother, within our great-grandmother, stretching into times long before we were ever born. There is no pain that exists in isolation. Hatred and greed and fear are passed on from generation to generation. Pain is also the nature of separation, being separated from what we love, what we want, or what we need. Pain is also the nature of being separated from what is true and being separated from ourselves. Now, some pain that we encounter is part of human birth and life and death. If we love, then we will be exposed to loss. If we care, we may be exposed to disappointment. Intimacy brings with it always a companion of the possibility of separation. And wisdom for us as women is to learn to be awake within all of these actualities, to learn how to embrace our lives and embrace the truth of life, which is the truth of change, with grace, with understanding. Some pain is part of human life and birth, there is also pain, which is the pain of ignorance, the pain of not understanding, the pain of not knowing. There is also pain that comes not because we are born, but because in our lives we deny or in some way avoid the truth of life's actualities. Perhaps we deny the understanding that all things will change and desperately seek for certainty and safety. This is a path of pain. Perhaps we deny that all things move according to their own rhythms and instead we want to hold and control. This is pain. Perhaps we even deny the actuality that wanting and holding is in itself suffering and not, as we would like to believe, a path to the end of suffering. <coughs> Wherever there is pain, there is a call and a need for healing through forgiveness, through compassion, through wisdom. Sometimes in looking at the Buddhist tradition, sometimes people have the impression that the Buddhism is somehow preoccupied or obsessed with, with suffering. You know, you hear all these statements that are attributed to Buddhism that says, you know, life is a miserable place that we should do our best to get out of as quickly as possible. Most of these statements are actually untrue. 
The whole of this teaching is in the service of the end of pain and in the service of healing. In the Buddha's life, he was asked by Ananda, one of his close disciples, how, what is the wise way or what are the ways that we can respond when we encounter pain and suffering in our lives? And the Buddha answered that in the face of pain and suffering, different pathways do open to us. And some of those pathways will serve to perpetuate pain, and few of those pathways will serve to bring about the end of pain. Just as Narayan was talking about when she's talking about the hindrances arising 2,500 years ago, well, 2,500 years ago, the Buddha was also speaking about the same pathways in response to pain that we find ourselves following in our lives in this moment. It could be said that as human beings, we are somewhat slow learners. <laughs> One of the pathways that the Buddha spoke about as a possibility of response to pain is the pathway of blame. To meet pain, to respond with blame. And blame is, of course, essentially anger. When we are hurt in our lives, wounded in our lives, by the words or the actions or another, by events that unfold, and I'm not speaking about just you know, having superficially bruised feelings, but when we are deeply hurt, on an essential level, our whole sense, our entire sense of who we are can be wounded. Experiences, deep experiences of hurt lead to feelings of inadequacy, of worthlessness, of self-judgment, of these are more than just fleeting feelings that perhaps appear and then disappear. Instead, these feelings become, on a cellular level, a deeply held belief system, a personal belief system that is built upon the experience of pain pain of rejection or the pain of abuse or the pain of judgment or denial. These feelings are essentially adopted as a vision of ourselves which then shapes and molds our vision of the world. The person who feels, you know, deeply trusting and confident within their own being has a very different experience of the world than the person who feels deeply fearful or powerless. Our vision of reality, our perception of reality, is indeed shaped by our perception of ourselves. Now, when we awake in our lives, and this is part of the process of becoming conscious, when we awake in our lives to the damage caused to us, to us 
by being wounded, by carrying a wounded sense of vision, we may very well feel, feel filled with anger and perhaps with blame. Now, on one level, anger can actually be a useful feeling because one of the characteristics of a very wounded sense of vision built upon feelings of inadequacy or worthlessness or powerlessness, one of the characteristics of that wounded sense of vision is actually a lack of energy. There's no energy. It's flat, it's deflated. And anger then can be a vehicle, it can actually be an awakening energy. It can actually be an awakening energy. It can inspire us to embrace with wisdom our inner experience to seek to understand. However, that anger, energy of anger can also be a totally disabling energy when it is embraced with confusion, when it becomes blame. Because blame actually ties us to pain. Blame ties us to pain. There's a story of um, a Buddhist story of a a man who was out walking in the forest, he got shot with an arrow. You know, he fell over, he had this arrow stuck in him. And of course, immediately people came running to help him, you know, to pull the arrow out. And he said, hold on a minute, you know. You're not going to touch that arrow until you tell me who shot it, where it came from, what direction, what kind of wood it's made out of, why they shot it. Why they shot it at me? After you answer all of these questions, you can pull out this arrow. Now, there is no doubt that pain has a cause. And the truth of that pain may very well lie in the events of our lives or in the actions or the words of another. But blame is also a very subtle form of wanting. Blame is a form of wanting. Blame can be a very subtle form of need and a very, sometimes not so subtle, form of dependency. Think of a situation, perhaps, when we have been hurt and felt filled with blame and how obsessive our thinking can become about what has happened to me. What is the energy that keeps us obsession or that thinking alive? Sometimes it is because we want. We want from someone else an apology, an admission of guilt, We may even want them to suffer. We want something to happen. We are even maybe dependent or feel dependent upon something happening in order for us to be healed, to be free from blame. The story of a woman who in her early early life had a terrible relationship with her father. Um, a very 
angry, hurtful relationship. And as early as she could in her life, she left home and vowed that she would never speak to her father again. But she thought about him, thought about him, thought about him. And eventually her father died and she refused to go to the funeral because she felt that she hated him so much. And after the funeral was over and her father was buried, she still thought about him and thought about him and thought about him and realized some point the pain in her life she was actually now causing to herself. There was no one forcing her any longer to be in pain. She was no longer subjected to anyone else's power. Some weeks ago, I went to a talk given by a Tibetan monk who was imprisoned by the Chinese for 15 years. And for 10 years, on and off, he was tortured. And he was... He was giving this talk, and it was the most extraordinary situation because he'd brought with him all of these instruments of torture. And he was kind of hanging around with these electric prods, you know, and, you know, doing this stuff and this chain. And the most remarkable thing was there was no blame. There was absolutely no hatred. It was the most extraordinary event to be present in. That he was just explaining about something which he actually was, you know, had left behind in some way and was now simply communicating in order to serve others. Wanting can tie us to pain in a way in which we feel that we can't move on, in a way in which we feel that we can't be free in our lives, lives, because both our present and our future appears to be tied so solidly to our past. There's a very real question we always need to ask ourselves in the midst of pain, in the midst of conflict, to ask ourselves, at what point are we following a path of healing and at what point are we perpetuating a path of suffering? Now, if in those moments in our lives when we are sick, you know, physically sick, there's something ailing us and we don't know what's wrong, we experience two kinds of pain. One kind is the, is the pain of the illness and the other kind of pain is the pain of not knowing not knowing what's wrong with us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, you might have the experience, you know, after you've been ill or something, and, and you go to a doctor, and the doctor has a diagnosis. And this, in some ways, you might still be ill, but there's this lifting of this burden, and you know, I feel a certain sense of relief. Oh, at least I know what's wrong with me, you know. And in some ways, of course, that diagnosis, of course, can also be very helpful because it shows us perhaps the way to find the support or to find what we need in order to be well and in order to recover. Now, of course, once we have recovered, it would be indeed a strange phenomena then 
to move through our lives, you know, years later and introducing ourselves by our diagnosis. You know, that happened really quite some time ago. That is no longer us anymore. We live in a culture of blame, which unfortunately is also a culture of labels. In many ways, there is a great inclination within our culture to compartmentalize ourselves into particular groupings defined by our pain. We use the words, I am, with a particular label attached to those words, which is defining ourselves by a particular experience of pain. Now again, sometimes those labels may be useful for us as a doorway to move on, as a doorway to find the support and the healing that is necessary, but to be stuck within a wounded sense of vision or to take upon ourselves a label based upon a wounded sense of vision may not always be a pathway of healing. Now clear comprehension, I feel, is a significant part of healing, to know what is taking place within us, to know it's an experience of pain very clearly. But clear comprehension is very different than blame. Clear comprehension is about this present, about this present, this moment, this experience, our relationship to it, how we are embracing it. Clear comprehension is, is about confidence, about exploration and investigation. Clear comprehension is fluid and open and it is filled with an invitation to learn and to deepen. Blame is about the past. Blame is about what has gone by. It's about what cannot be undone, cannot be erased. And there are few possibilities of opening in that which has already died. We do really need, I feel, to be aware of what kind of marriage we are entering into when we assume any kind of label which describes a wounded sense of identity. Not only what we might gain, but what we might surrender in that marriage. Surely one of the very first steps of healing must be the inner willingness and the trust of letting go of the past. Letting go of wanting. Letting go of wanting, justification, admission, wanting of anything. This is not a surrender of integrity or truth. Sometimes it is a surrender of the past and a wounded sense of vision. It is also surrendering any belief that we can describe the truth of ourselves by describing the truth of the events in our lives. These are very different realities. The second path that the Buddha spoke about is a possibility of a response to pain. It's a path of despair. The despair that sometimes is expressed in those feelings, you know, why, why does this happen to me? What have I done to deserve this? Those feelings of resignation, sometimes feelings of being victimized. 
Despair is a deeper prison as the prison of anger because it carries with it a heaviness of spirit that again informs and shapes and molds our lives. Coming from a place of despair, very often nothing new is begun because failure is already forecast. Limitation and pain is accepted as a norm as we surrender confidence and trust. Sometimes little is sought for or aspired to except for fantasy. Our capacity to bring about change is not believed in. In despair, well-being and happiness and richness always seems to be the territory of someone else who we believe are exempt from pain. The darkness of despair fuels the beliefs in I can't. This is the mantra of despair. I can't. I am not able to. The language of impossibility. Now sometimes in a retreat we have a little acquaintance with despair. We see the ways, <coughs> those moments when we are tempted to jump into fantasies, images, and daydreams. Sometimes we see ourselves wanting to curl up into a kind of fetal ball in the face of apparent failures. Sometimes we meet failure or disappointment. This is not so uncommon in retreats, you know. We tell you that, you know, no one can fail at meditation. There's never, never has anyone ever at meditation. It is not possible. We hear that and we say, yes, except for me. And it is greeted with a sort of sense of grim familiarity. Sometimes even we might mean pain and we say, oh, well, you know, I've fulfilled my expectations. Of course I'm going to meet pain. You know, look at me, look at my life. Despair is a prison. Its bars are constructed on the basis of memory, on the basis of self-image, on the basis of belief in the present. Those bars in the prison of despair can be remarkably transparent. <coughs> the past actually doesn't have any life. This is an interesting phenomenon. Life is given to the past in the present by clinging. What creates continuity or link between the past and the present is belief. And belief shapes our experience of ourselves, our world. Belief also shapes our sense of possibility. We need to be very aware, I think, of the power that we give to the words, I can't. Now, there's many things we can't do, you know. I, I don't foresee myself setting any Olympic records in the near future. I would say, no, I can't do that, you know. We can't reverse the process of gravity within our bodies. <laughs> we can't do that. 
There are a number of things, you know, we could probably list that we, in reality, can't do. It's not a tragedy, it's just we can't do it. We can't guarantee the future, we can't undo the past. That more or less sums it up. It leaves a lot of things that are open to possibility. It leaves an awful lot that is open to possibility. We can be awake. We can be free. We can deepen in wisdom. We can deepen in compassion. We are all born with the capacity to be conscious, to be aware. It brings a great, a vast amount into the realm of possibility. The third path that the Buddha spoke about as a response to pain is the path of bringing suffering to an end. It is the path of possibility and wisdom and healing. It is the path of moving on in our being and moving on in our lives. There is pain that I spoke about that is intrinsic to life, of loss, of separation, of aging and sickness and death. This pain we will not avoid. There is a vast amount of suffering that is not intrinsic to life, but which is intrinsic to ignorance. And, you know, I know ignorance is not a very nice word in our culture, but it's a very popular Buddhist word. And it's not meant to be insulting. It's really not meant to be insulting. But there is a lot of pain that is simply intrinsic to ignorance, to confusion, to not understanding to not living in harmony with the nature of life. In California, there's this, this T-shirt I saw, it says, suffering is optional. <laughs> it's a really Buddhist statement. You know, suffering is optional. The path of wisdom is dedicated to bringing about an end to suffering. The path of wisdom is about turning towards any instance of suffering, any instance of pain, and look at them without fear, without resistance and without judgment, and to look at them at how they are caused and how they are ended. And by suffering, I don't mean, you know, just the suffering of when we're tied up in knots writhing on the floor, you know, but also those forms of suffering that we don't even recognize as suffering. You know, the suffering of dualities, the suffering of separation, the suffering of essentially not being free. As long as we are not awake in our lives, then that is suffering. To heal ourselves, to heal our world, we need to look at the ingredients of healing. Blame and despair do not heal. Dwelling on what has gone by is a practice of suffering. Fantasy is a practice of confusion. Conclusions are a surrender to suffering. It seems to me that one of the most essential ingredients of healing is actually vision. I, I don't understand how any change can ever take place in our lives unless there is some sense of vision 
some, you know, we might call it trust, we might call it confidence, we might call it a sense of possibility. But unless we have some sense of vision, what is the inspiration to move on? What is the inspiration to let go? What is the inspiration to deepen? Unless there's vision, we might as well just try and rearrange our worlds the best we can to avoid as much as we can and fill it up, up with as much pleasure as we can. Vision is the essential, the primary foundation of change. If you think or reflect upon all of the stories that inspire us in our lives, you know, mostly they are the stories of seekers, of individuals, of ordinary, ordinary people who had a little spark, a little spark of vision, and who began a journey through that spark. There's nothing logical about it. It can't be intellectually known. But it's a sense, a deep, intuitive, inner sense that it is possible for us to be free, to be awake, to be healed, to live with compassion. That vision is extraordinarily important. We need to carefully nurture our own sparks of vision, to fan them into life, to breathe life into them, to have a sense that it is truly possible for us to leave behind us a fragmented way of being, a burdened way of being, a separated way of being, that it's possible to leave behind us a world of conclusions and the prison of judgment, to explore what it might mean to commit ourselves to that sense of vision in every moment. What difference would it make in our meditation if our, every city and every walking was actually dedicated simply to being free, to being awake, what real difference would it make if we actually felt that within ourselves, that that was our only invitation in that moment, was to explore what it means to be free, to be awake. We hold within ourselves and need to nurture that sense of possibility that it's possible for us to live a life of dignity, of integrity that is guided by wisdom. Sometimes vision is nurturing the simple but heartfelt refusal to accept the unacceptable. Sometimes vision is that straightforward. The refusal to accept the unacceptable in our lives or in ourselves. What is the unacceptable? Anything that breeds a sense of limitation or confinement or imprisonment, anything that breeds a sense of fragmentation, anything that breeds a sense of not living with honesty and integrity, anything that causes suffering, this is not acceptable. And then to have that clear resolve, 
to no longer accept the unacceptable anywhere in our lives. This is an expression of vision. Sometimes refusing to accept the unacceptable is refusing to accept a world or a self that is defined by conclusions. Vision is a necessary ingredient that empowers us to move on in our journeys, in our lives. Sometimes vision is sparked by the inspiration of others, but it can only ever be nourished by by ourselves. Part of vision is personal. You know, looking at ourselves here, we see moments where we sink or flounder, and we see that our life here is really just a microcosmic view of every other relationship, of the whole of the rest of our lives. We see here the places where we dwell, where we accept judgment, where we resist and where we withdraw. What difference would it make in those moments? What difference would it make in our lives in those moments of pain to engage in none of those patterns that we know so well? Maybe we've learned what we need to learn there. Maybe we have nothing more to learn from resistance, from judgment, from aversion, from avoidance, from from self-negation, maybe we have nothing more to learn. It's an interesting idea to entertain. Because maybe if we really accepted that we had nothing more to learn, then our entire relationship to ourselves, to our lives, would actually be transformed. We'd actually see, if I've got nothing more to learn, then I don't need to be there anymore don't actually need to be there anymore. Perhaps we would learn not that those moments or those habits of our lives, of our minds, of our hearts would necessarily disappear, but we would greet them, say welcome, and farewell. Welcome and farewell. We would welcome them with a compassionate awareness, allow them to be rather than strengthening them in any way with conclusions what happens with any painful thought or memory or feeling when it is not laden with reaction or aversion or resistance. Perhaps you've experienced those moments here. Pain becomes something very different when it's not laden with all of those burdens. What would happen if we didn't make our home any longer in the contents of our mind? Where would our homes be? Imagine if we didn't make our homes any longer in the contents of our mind. Then our home would actually be in the seeing. Our home would actually be in awareness, and awareness has no blame. Our histories may have had a reality, but they become our present reality in the moment of possessing them. That is when our histories become our present reality. We should never perceive healing or perceive freedom as some sort of distant goal that arrives after we've ended or erased or resolved every historical pattern of suffering we ever encounter. 
Healing is not a long process of entangling every knot of the past. It is far more, perhaps, true to say that the pa- you know that we don't heal the present by healing the past, but rather the past is healed by healing the present. By healing the present, the past has no foothold. The past has no foothold in a consciousness that is not rooted in being wounded. And the present is healed by withdrawing all of our conclusions, by laying down resistance and holding, by allowing the natural radiance of awareness to shine. The present is healed with openness and acceptance and with sensitivity. If the present is healed, the past is healed. Vision is not something which is just personal. Healing is not just about healing my pain. All of us are interconnected. The whole of the universe is interwoven in a single tapestry. Pain is no respecter of boundaries, no observer of mine or yours. The causes of pain in the universe run through all of these threads of existence. Greed and anger and fear and hatred will cause pain within any life. Our longing for safety, for peace, for freedom is shared by all beings. And healing is actually a commitment to end all suffering. Here, what we do is we create healing space for ourselves and for each other. Here we learn the first steps of withdrawing demands to become someone or something. Here we learn the first steps of withdrawing strategies and willpower. Here we learn the first steps of wisdom, of love and compassion. And we see it's not very complicated. It's not very complicated, this path. Wisdom and love and compassion are not very complicated. Withdraw your demands, withdraw your resistance, withdraw withdraw your aversion. There is sensitivity. There is openness. There is spaciousness. There is the love and the compassion that allows all things to be allows all things to be. In that, the past is not erased, but where is its power when we do not define ourselves by it? Where is the power in our thoughts, our images, our memories, if we do not define ourselves by them? What happens when we surrender all of those definitions The thoughts, the images, the memories, they are like bubbles in a stream, carried by the flow of the stream, but never could ever be described as the essence of the stream. No matter how long our history may be of anger or fear or jealousy, 
no matter how long our history is of feeling we have been hurt, when our home is in awareness, when our home is in seeing and not in the contents, we begin to appreciate how extraordinarily vast, immense, and deep awareness is, able to embrace everything, able to embrace a world of pain with compassion and with sensitivity. Kuan Yin is one of the uh, expressions of, or deities, forms that is given to Buddha nature. And Kuan Yin is the Buddha of compassion. And translated from the Chinese, Kuan Yin means one who knows how to listen to the sounds of the universe. This in itself is the nature of awareness, and the nature of awareness in itself is the nature of compassion. And it is awareness that heals. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.